Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Video games. Out there, me. The people who make them. The stories behind it all. You're listening to Random Access Memories. By Ron's Pies. Enjoy the show. It's late 2004. You're in junior high school. You forgot to do your math homework last night, so you got a nice stern talk from your intimidating math teacher. You got a chicken sandwich for lunch, and your milk carton was kind of a pain to open today for some reason, but you got the job done. You usually sleep through history class, but today was different. All day you've been feeling energized, but completely out of focus. The clock hits 3.30, and your dad is parked out front of the school, ready to pick you up. You get home, you pop open a fresh bag of Doritos and crack open a can of Mountain Dew before you boot up your Xbox. The screen lights up, and the echoes of a choir emanate throughout your basement. It's Halo 2, and all your friends just did the exact same thing you did. You connect to Xbox Live, put on your headset, join a party, and ask, So, Team Slayer or Big Team Battle? Life? is good. This is the routine every day following the release of Halo 2 for millions of gamers around the globe. Halo 2 was more than just a financial and critical success. It was a cultural movement. It was a defining moment for an entire generation of kids, teenagers, young adults, seasoned gamers, overseas soldiers, newcomers, people who loved Xbox, people who hated Xbox. It felt like everyone knew someone who had an Xbox with a copy of Halo 2. Everyone knew someone who was going over to someone else's house to eat pizza and play LAN parties all day. I think it's easy to forget about the human side of video games when you're so focused on the history and the development. We forget what it was like for us ourselves to come home with a copy in hand when we spend so long thinking about the design philosophy or the harsh days of crunch that created the thing we loved. When we talk about games development, try to remember where you were when you played that game, how you felt. It's magical. And that's how it feels whenever I watch the behind the scenes documentaries or read articles about the inner workings of a studio like Bungie. They were making magic and we were playing magic. And you know what? We knew it. Even then, every Halo fan knew that Bungie was making magic. And little did we know that Bungie was stirring up their best spells yet for the next generation of hardware, the Xbox 360. Welcome to Random Access Memories, a gaming podcast dedicated to the stories behind video games. This podcast is an in-depth look at a variety of the different franchises, developers, and studios around the world that form the greatest entertainment medium in the world. History, conversations, fun facts about franchises you thought you knew everything about, this is Random Access Memories. Random Access Memories is a podcast produced by Ron's Pies, a YouTube channel dedicated to in-depth looks at video games. If you like the podcast, please follow the show on your podcast distribution platform of choice, leave a positive review, and subscribe to the channel. With that, please enjoy the show. Welcome to Random Excess Memories, episode two. Can you believe it? Episode two. It's almost like it's the second week of recording this, Keegan. Wow. <laughs> uh, my name is Wade Ronspies, and I am joined by my illustrious co-host, Keegan Ayler's. Hello. <laughs> We got even more energy than that, Keegan. <laughs> hello, hello. I know it's 9 p.m., but bring it. Hey, it's 9 p.m. I got a head cold. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot about me. that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I totally forgot. Life's kicking my butt right now. I but even you know told what? you, like, we'll take it easy, Keegan. And then yeah. here I am. Bring the energy. But I'm here. Well, yeah, last episode, we talked about Halo 1 and 2. We're kind of start. We didn't really talk too much about Halo 2. We kind of just did the bare minimum. So I kind of wanted to open this bad boy up with a little Halo to talk so dude halo 2 was great like <laughs> yeah no seriously halo 2 was awesome just oh i just remember like shooting like and seeing all the blood splatter and everything <laughs> like that and being like 11 i was like this is so freaking cool i remember that being the talk of just like when you shoot someone blood comes out and it like splatters on the wall what? No game can do that. The thing that's funny about that intro is that I wrote that intro as I'm trying to represent like the general Halo 2 experience, but that was more of our generation's experience with Halo 3. Yeah. 
But I think anyone who has had that experience with any game can relate to that feeling of being at school, not being able to focus on anything, you know, just waiting to get home to play a specific game. This time it was about Halo 2, but really for us that was Halo 3, but not for me because I didn't have an Xbox 360 at the time. But Ooh, luckily I did. (laughs) But I I just think that experience is so applicable to anyone who has played Halo or who has anticipated a Halo release. Yeah. I mean, when I play Halo 2 online, I actually played it, or when I played it on Xbox Live, I played it on the 360. I didn't play it on the original Xbox Mm. for live. I played it on the 360. Well, the thing that's crazy about Halo 2 is that it was the most popular game on Xbox Live until Gears of War came out, but that wasn't until 2006, so there was a good two years like, well, and the Xbox 360 came out in 2005, so there was, like, a whole year there where the Xbox 360 was out and Halo 2 was still the most popular game online. And so I imagine other people had the similar situation where they were just playing it on 360. Yeah, you would think so. Plus, you gotta replay the campaign on 360. Yeah, because... You know, I don't know if it actually would look better, but because it was just backwards compatible, it wasn't like Xbox yeah. One backwards compatible where it upscales and no, no upscaling, that. no, not even achievements or anything like that. Yeah, it's crazy. Call of Duty Two has achievements, and that like blew my mind when I played Call of Duty Two because that was a launch game for the 360. It's like, man, they really knew what they wanted with the 360 from day one. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. I'm surprised Call of Duty 2 didn't kind of usurp Halo 2 for a little while. Because you have so many people have so many fond memories with that as well. Yeah. I mean, I never played any of the CODs. The first COD I played was Call of Duty 3. Yes. I played... My first experience with Call of Duty was Call of Duty 3 on Wii. So, uh... Yeah. But this is a Halo. This is Halo. This is about yeah, Halo. Maybe this we'll Halo do story. Maybe. One we day. talked a little bit about Call of Duty last time. But yeah. let's, uh... Let's talk about... Get back to the end. Halo. Anyone who played Halo 2 who wasn't in touch with the gaming industry probably never would have guessed that Halo 2 wasn't exactly fun to make. The development cycle of Halo 2 was arguably the toughest in the company's entire history, that company being Bungie. Um, Disasters seemed to loom around every single corner. Tons of content had to be completely reworked or scrapped altogether. The workload was greater than ever. Morale was pretty low throughout the entire journey. If Halo 2 was magic, it certainly didn't feel like it at Bungie. However, with the advent of new hardware in the form of the Xbox 360, Bungie had the opportunity to right all the wrongs they saw in Halo 2. Everything they had to sacrifice to ship Halo 2, all the ideas they couldn't do to the limitations of the original Xbox, all the feedback from the past two games, it could all culminate in one final push from Bungie in the form of Halo 3. You mean the best Halo ever. Halo 3 was planned to be the end of the Halo trilogy for Bungie, so they're going to throw every idea they had and the kitchen sink into the game. The ambition may have been dialed back in comparison to Halo 2, but Bungie still had the drive to make Halo 3 something incredibly special so the series could end on the highest of high notes. And just to be clear, less ambitious than Halo 2 doesn't mean not ambitious. Bungie was going to be making their first game for the Xbox 360, so that meant working in HD for the first time, more memory, more processing power, making a new graphics engine, new lighting and particle effects, 5.1 surround sound, textures four times more detailed than Halo 2. Halo 3 was still a huge endeavor to Bungie. And even Bungie themselves would admit that Halo 2 may have been too ambitious. In fact, they knew it was when they were making it. But Bungie had a tempered edge now. They matured. They knew what they could and couldn't handle. But the success of Halo 2 and the excitement for Halo 3 came at a huge cost. During Halo 2's development, Bungie co-founder Alex Seropian left the company to return to Chicago, and after Halo 2 shipped, many of the higher-ups at Bungie left for vacations and extended sabbaticals after the difficult development cycle, including co-founder Jason Jones and story lead Joseph Staten. At the beginning of Halo 3's development, there was no clear creative vision for the game, even though the team had some idea of what they wanted to do gameplay, art, and design-wise. There was no real direction or leadership at Bungie for Halo 3. Like with Halo 2, many of the creative decisions for Halo 3 were decided by a committee of Bungie employees, which caused some friction with series composer Martin O'Donnell. Uh, We talked about how Martin O'Donnell was very involved with the creative process of Halo, and I think Halo 3 might honestly be one of the most involved projects he was in um because like halo one he was involved in the in the sense of like he was sitting down at the level designers and he was in the choir itself but with halo 3 you start to see him like in a bit more of a managerial position where he's like making hard decisions for the script and stuff like that he got a big boy job now I mean, he always had a big boy job, but now it was like, 
I think he had the same level of authority within Bungie as someone like Joseph Staten or Jason Jones. Story threads were left dangling in the air. The plot had no real stakes to it, according to O'Donnell, but Staten would eventually return to edit the plot created by the committee of Bungie developers. It was actually Martin O'Donnell's idea to kill off some of the major characters in Halo 3, even further cementing O'Donnell's role within Bungie, as I explained earlier. He wasn't just the composer or the sound director for Halo. He was an integral part of the team and their creative process and you can thank him for Halo 3's story taking some of the directions it does. Um, he was he was originally going to have uh, Miranda Keys like turn on you and become like a villain. What? Yeah, he like he wanted some betrayals Dang. going on. But um, he I think he was the one who suggested that Johnson should die. And Miranda Keys dies too. Yep, she she definitely does. That I think that was almost directly Martin O'Donnell's idea was to kill both of them off because this was supposed to be the finale he needed he wanted some more stakes and drama in that documentary he talks about like him reading the script and he's like there's no form or shape to it you know it's just a lot of it's a lot of story but it's not necessarily good story you know it's just a lot of things happen but not really for any reason and so he really wanted to shake things up by adding some major character deaths so you could thank him for coming up with some of tale three's best like most important moments. I mean, Miranda dying was cool, but Johnson, obviously, that's a that's a big favorite. Well, and the thing is, like, you get to kill Guilty Spark, but then they turn out that Guilty Spark is still alive. It's like, thanks, 343. Wait, what? Yeah, 343 made him not dead because he's in the books. What? Yeah. Oh, my God. Sorry, guys. I've read a lot of the books, but nothing like as of like recent stuff. Yeah, he's um, he was like a forerunner consciousness uploaded to that guilty into that shell. And then like when Master Chief shoots him with a Spartan laser in Halo 3 and you think he's dead, he's not actually dead. And then he gets like put back into an actual body again. It's stupid. What? Oh my god. This is why I only read the old books. <laughs> it's like killing three killing Guilty Spark was supposed to feel good. And then they just kind of rob you of that by I making always him so he's not hated him. Oh I mean, yeah, that's the idea. Even in Halo One, he's guiding you through the library. Dude, and yeah, like, and he's just coming Christ. along. Like, oh, oh, I'm going to go over here and unlock this door for you. Why don't you just stand out here and fight off 20 flood farms? I almost think they made the library intentionally bad just so you would hate Guilty Spark. Oh my god. Hate him. Hate him. In that documentary, they even talk about how, like, we could have the Master Chief killing Guilty Spark in a cutscene, but where's the fun in that? You know, we want the player to Here's kill the Guilty Spark. Gun him down. And then you pull, then you watch, then you watch Master Chief kill the Didact in 4, and then you watch all these Spartan fights in Halo 5 that you don't have control over. It's just like, man. Be fun if I was playing this right now. We'll see what Halo 6 brings, right? Craig the Brute. Oh, God. Poor Craig. We fight him. I know that. Well, Craig gets killed, so. <laughs> On the surface, it kind of sounds like the development for Halo 3 was pretty bleak, though, right? Did Bungie have another Halo 2 situation on their hands? Not at all. Despite some lack of leadership and some slight friction within the story team, Halo 3's development was actually considerably smoother than any of Bungie's productions in the past. Like I said earlier, Bungie had matured since the troubled development cycle of Halo 2. The team was bigger than ever, and the workload was more evenly distributed across Bungie. The new technology made available by the Xbox 360 was stressful for sure, but seeing just how beautiful and robust Halo 3 was in comparison to its predecessors was a huge morale boost for the team, and made them excited every time they looked at the game running an engine. The art team was loving it, the physics engine was fresh and fun. Halo 3 was one of those games that you know will be good pretty early on in development, which is actually surprisingly rare for a lot of modern project. Every single person at Bungie was firing on all cylinders. I love uh, in the documentary and some of the behind the scenes documentaries for Halo 3, they talk about like the water specifically, the water physics and how it actually flowed and like, you know, if, if a body ragdolls yeah, into the water river. it actually flows dude that was actually yeah, really cool i always thought that was really cool when I was and they said like they didn't even intend for that to happen they just had the technology and they gave it to the physics or like the art team made it and then the physics guys said like well what if we made it actually work and then they, they gave it back to the art team it's like oh you could do that with that and then they made it pretty it's like there was so much i don't know synergy i guess going on in bungie where like every time someone had a good idea they would send that to another department and they would make that idea better 
And then they'd send it back. It's like, I didn't know you could do that. Let's make it even better. And it's just, you could just tell just watching them make Halo 3 that making Halo 3 was a lot more fun than making Halo 2. Yeah, that is, I don't doubt that. Bungie spent a whole year in pre-production where they mapped out the story and basic principles of the game. And it's that intense thought and detail ahead of time that made Halo's 3 development as smooth as it was. Master Chief emerged from the smoke and Halo 3 was officially revealed to the public at E3 2006 with a beautiful, for the time, in-engine trailer, which was actually a bit of a shock for the time. Typically up to that point, most game announcements were done using pre-rendered cinematics or a simple tease. So to show raw in-engine footage that was subject to change, of course, was a huge vote of confidence from Bungie and Microsoft, proving that the development process of Halo 3 was going smoothly. I mean, Halo 3 has some of the best trailers ever. Oh, God, dude. But that E3 trailer, you look at it now and it's pretty... Which one was that one? It's literally like there's a there's a crashed pelican and he just walks through the smoke and then it's like... Dude, bing, yeah, where bing. he's walking out... Yes, dude, in the armor. And I remember how they made such a big deal about you can see the armor's battle damage and everything yeah. like that. Like it's not and shiny that's in and new. engine. That's what the game looks like. Dude, you know? I remember that. Because oh. like that, that's why it was such a big deal to show something like that and say it's in engine. Because like if you wouldn't have said it was in engine, people would have been like, Oh, that was just like a CG trailer or whatever. It's like, no, that was gameplay. You know, not actual gameplay, but that was the game will look that pretty. It's like, oh, okay, dude. Yeah, I remember that was a good looking trailer. For, and then people say that nowadays, that. and everyone thinks they're bullshitting. But like, I don't know. People have been doing that forever, where they say something that looks impossibly pretty is running in engine, and people don't believe it until they play the game. It's like, oh yeah, they weren't kidding. That was that was that pretty. I mean, I remember like Ghost of Tsushima when that was revealed. It's like, okay. Sure. Oh, and Last of Us 2 was a big one where, like, you had other developers saying, like, that was fake. There's no way. And then it comes out, it's like, oh, yeah, it is that pretty. And the animations are that good. Huh. All right. So it, that's been going on for a long time. Development for Halo 3 was going so smoothly, in fact, that Bungie added even more than initially anticipated in the forms of Forge mode, theater mode, and even more features that allowed Bungie to more directly connect with their community. I love I love that little blurb right there because um, Halo 2, they had to cut so much. In Halo 3, they were adding stuff they never even anticipated. So it just kind of shows you the difference between like what they were working at the level they were working at compared to the two games. And if Halo 2's multiplayer was a shadow of what it could and should have been, as lead engineer Chris Butcher claimed, then Halo 3's multiplayer was the sunlight creating that shadow. It was the culmination of years of experience working on multiplayer, with a crack team of level designers and technicians ensuring that Halo 3's multiplayer would be the best yet bar none, built to take advantage of and balance every single weapon and vehicle in the Halo series, along with some exciting newcomers like the Spartan Laser and Gravity Hammer playing because I would always play big team battle and like even <laughs> oh, just yeah. thinking about the Spartan laser I remember my coolest thing ever I was on sand trap had the Spartan oh, laser in big team battle I literally I think it was my best game we, we ended up winning and I had like 33 of the 100 kills like I literally had a third of our team's kills that reminds remember, me of a match I played recently yeah I remember I on the receiving end getting this blazer and I literally got seven kills on five charges because I got two War double Hawks. kills no one, oh. one, one was a collat and the other one was nice. mongoose so technically it was a vehicle but i just remember that and i was like because during halo 3 the spartan laser had five charges and then later on it had four which i always hated but yeah i was like oh dude i love the spartan laser it was the coolest thing and then the animation when you'd get it and it pop out and make that sound you're like oh so the handle cool. pops out yeah yeah so that's cool. so good and like I was on a receiving end of a Spartan laser recently. I was recently playing Master Chief Collection, and it was big team battle on Sand Trap. And there's a guy just standing on a rock with a Spartan laser. Just anytime I popped out, just it's like, ah, where are you getting all this ammo? But uh, but and the grab hammer. Oh man, so f Griff Ball, dude. Yeah, playing OG Griff Ball back in the day. Ugh. Was that Halo Three when they yes, added that? Yes, Halo Three. So, I should have mentioned that. I didn't realize. Yep. Oh, I didn't know if that fall. was added in Halo 3 or Reach. Nope. Yeah, Halo 3, because it was one of the, if not the first double XP weekends in Halo ever. Oh, my was God. Was during Griff Ball. Dude, that'd be so hype. I remember that, because Griff Ball didn't come out at first. They dropped it later on, and it was double XP weekend. And I remember, you would only get one XP per win and oh so like you want a game of griff ball there's two points and you're like holy crap like i'm low i'm gonna power level <laughs> 
but like it also helps that Griff Ball is just really fun. Yeah, it was the Graf Hammer is so game. fun when like a group of people are running to the ball and just yeah. and you, or even if you don't kill camping. everyone, you see like a couple guys get blasted to the back of the map. Dude, yes. Or you're just spawn camping a, a spot and oh, it, it's a good game. And hey, that's a thing from Rooster Teeth too. Griff, the orange dude from from Red versus Blue, yeah. literally makes its way into Halo. Like, actual. yeah, we talked about that in episode one. How Rooster Teeth was basically founded making Halo Machinima, and they pay it back essentially. Uh, Bungie does. I mean, they both kind of pay it back to each other. I don't know. It's hard to explain. Where Halo or Bungie added a mode that essentially a that was named after a character from red versus blue and they also had a red versus blue easter egg in the campaign dude fun and then the golf club which oh, they yeah. added in later on which is basically a graph hammer oh god what else did they add in halo 3 like weapon wise spiker the spike the, okay. grenade the incendiary was, grenade oh yeah the incendiary and uh and uh those abilities yep the drop shields and the mines yep. and stuff like yep. that the weapon abilities um the magnum got a redo they brought back the ar um turrets you could break off turrets god i want to think that there's more that the, the red plasma rifle no did that come back no or? that was no. halo 2 the red yeah, plasma was, rifle that yep. was halo 2 okay yeah i was saying i was trying to remember if that came back i think that might be it there's probably more um uh, spiker the might have been halo 2 as well but i could be wrong no the spiker was halo 3 okay you would you would know yep. <laughs> i'm yep. not gonna and then they I'm brought back the mauler which was the oh, brute like yeah. hand cannon yeah, the shotgun yeah I thought that's what they were um, in that Halo Infinite demo. Dude, so did I, but then it was I thought like, that was I thought that was the Mauler, but it's like yeah. a pistol. I was like, I all right, know, that was so uh, weird. But like, do the Mauler too? Because now we have brutes and elites together. Because it's the banished. Yeah, which everybody's like, what the hell does that even mean? And it's like, go play Halo Wars two or just watch. And even Halo Wars two doesn't do a great job of explaining it. I watched. I recently watched all the cutscenes for Halo Wars two, and it's kind of like, yeah, Atriox was like banished, but then he just and they were gonna execute him, and then he just decided to not be executed. And then everyone joined him. It's like okay, sure. Yep. Then he got some shipmaster to join him, who was an elite, a Sanghaley shipmaster. Um, but yeah, weapon wise, I think that's about it. Yeah. Besides the abilities and those couple of different guns, that was really about it. Yeah. It's ironic that in the absence of the company's co-founders, Bungie was beginning to really reclaim their own image and the pace they had prior to being acquired by Microsoft. In fact, it was during Halo 3's development that Bungie and Microsoft announced they'd be parting ways after Bungie developed two more Halo games after Halo 3. Bungie would become independent once again, and Microsoft would keep the Halo brand for themselves. In 2010, Bungie would finish their contractual obligations to Microsoft and be free to work on other projects as they pleased, finally returning Bungie to the state it was before its acquisition in 2000. It was a difficult decision to make. Bungie didn't really want to leave Halo behind, but it was the price they were willing to pay in order to regain their former freedom. If ditching Halo was what they had to do to be free from Microsoft, it was what they were going to do. Bungie's eyes were already on the horizon at their inevitable destiny. Boom. Um, <laughs> nice. Their initial work culture, the original vibes of the studio, it would all go back to the way it was. Or would it? But... This is ultimately a story about Halo. Let's jump back to the months leading up to Halo 3's launch in 2007 and continue from there. On May 11th, 2007, just over four months before the launch of the full game, an open online beta test for Halo 3 went up on Xbox Live. Anyone who owned a copy of fellow Xbox exclusive Crackdown could hop into the beta and play free of charge. But I guess it's not really free if you had to buy Crackdown to get to it. And thousands of players did just that. They bought Crackdown just so they could play the beta for Halo 3. That beta may very well be the reason Crackdown sold as well as it did. However, it's worth noting that Crackdown wasn't the only way to get into the beta. Players could also register on Halo's website after either A, registering as fast as humanly possible after the famous Starry Night trailer went live online, we'll get to that later, <laughs> or B, being one of the first 13,333 players to register online after playing over three hours of Halo 2 multiplayer during a specific event period that February. Get it? Because three. Oh my god, I get it. It's like Halo 3. Yeah, which is funny because Bungie's like all about the number seven but but yeah shout out to Starry Night that trailer oh, that's a great that trailer. is like 
when people talk about Halo 3 trailers, that's the one. Dude, and then running down with the bubble shield. That was the first time we saw that bubble shield, and you're like, okay, that was so cool. That is the image I think everyone thinks of when they think of Halo 3, is that giant open battlefield, Master Chief sprinting down, artillery coming, dropping the bubble shield. Oh. Onto the brute chieftain in the full armor with the grav hammer. Dude, that was so cool. That is iconic, and I really recommend if you haven't seen that trailer, which, oh my god, if you haven't, what's wrong with you? Um, Watch that trailer, and you will understand why people <laughs> were so hyped for Halo 3, because that was the trailer. I, I honestly think that might have been, like, the best trailer ever made up to that point. It's in a pretty good trailer. In, in gaming history. Like, uh, even today, it's one of the best trailers ever. And also, like, the registering for the beta after the the trailer went online you know how fast people like nab codes off twitter imagine oh. registering for that bait the stress of <laughs> you you basically had three opportunities to get into the beta either buy crackdown register after the trailer or play over three hours of halo 2 and be really quick in February. That would be stressful. Just buy Crackdown. And this is the easy way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, did, did you buy Crackdown? For uh, I've never played a Crackdown game. Okay. Don't think I'm really missing out too much. Nah, I, people always swear by Crackdown 1 being the only good one. And even then, I don't know how much of that was nostalgia. But people swear by it. This isn't a Crackdown show. <laughs> um, the Halo 3 open beta lasted for four weeks, which is a really long time by modern standards, and gathered over 820,000 unique players who played a total of 12 million hours of playtime in that period. The purpose of a beta test is to, well, test. To see what works, what doesn't, what's fun, and what isn't. 12 million hours of playtime is a ton of data to work with. 6,000 tons, if you want to be exact. Modern betas can last for one week and have half that playtime and still have more than enough to work with. So it's an understatement to say that Halo 3's beta was a huge success for Bungie. So did you play the Halo 3 beta at all? Honestly, I don't... I think I registered for it. Like, I'm gonna be honest, that was... 13 years ago yeah that yeah so i i i would have remembered playing it i don't think i played it but i remember that would be like one of the first like open betas ever i mean it, it opened beta in quotes it was still pretty yeah closed but by by that by the by 2007 standards that was an open beta for the most part yeah and so like that would have been like one of the first open betas that a lot of people would have played so that was probably a huge deal to like not just for like people to be playing halo 3 ahead of launch but just for bungie to release a public beta you know people are playing this yeah. and they're not at e3 what is going on i'm sure it was just massive and i love seeing uh there's lots of fun forums if you want to see how time is just a flat circle and how nothing changes um, I don't know if that's how what time is a flat circle means, but if you want to see how little gamers change over time, there's actually a lot of forum posts um, during the Halo 3 beta about people complaining that it doesn't look as good as they were promised. Weird. It's like we're going through that right now, guys. It's almost like people always complain about stuff they don't fully understand <laughs> when it, because game development is hard and weird and yeah, yeah. nothing, nothing. <sighs> oh, watch a flame war theater by mega 64 if you want to see how little gamers have changed over time it's basically they do um a shakespearean reenactment of um really bad forum posts angry forum posts i should say dating all the way back to like 96 when the nintendo 64 was coming out and people were like oh, i have a playstation nintendo sucks and you know like oh, oh dreamcast is gonna be better than all of this huh. it's just amazing seeing how little things have changed but to see it represented as like a shakespearean play is really That's funny so, so funny. i recommend checking out flame War theater by mega 64 um but anyway halo 3 beta fans love the beta and bungie had an incredible wealth of data to work with all the pieces were now in place to ensure a steady and smooth pathway to launch that september including a nice 40 million dollar marketing budget courtesy of microsoft if halo 2 was big halo 3 was going to be gargantuan if halo 2 was the pillar of autumn Halo 3 was the whole damn Halo. And for the record, yes, I know the Pillar of Autumn was destroyed in Halo 1. I'm just using a size analogy. Maybe I should have said, like, 
Halo 2 is a Halo, Halo 3 is the Ark. Ooh, get it? Yeah, because the Ark is in Halo 3. Oh my god. And, Halo, and the Ark is where Halos are made. Yeah. And launch in September, Halo 3 did. On September 25th, 2007, Halo 3 was finally unleashed onto the world. Remember when Halo 2 broke all sales records and became the most financially successful entertainment product of all time? Halo 2 made $125 million within 24 hours. And Halo 3 made $100 $70 million within 24 hours, breaking the series' own record. After a week, $300 million. Xbox 360 sales alone doubled. Movie studio executives were convinced that box office sales around the time of Halo 3's release were dramatically decreased due to the game's release. I love that. I I, I, I hope it is, because that is such a cool fact if it's real. I wouldn't be surprised, though, just because, like, I don't need to go see a movie. I have... Halo now, <laughs> you know, I read about it and it was something that was never actually proven by ticket sales or gross revenue from movies, but it was something that like movie studio execs swore that like this game hurt us, <laughs> which is hilarious. Yeah. But the thing is nowadays, like everyone is so in touch with all kinds of modern pop culture that I don't like people don't really choose one thing or another you know they mm -hmm. don't choose well I bought this game so I'm not gonna go see a movie this weekend it's like well I know I just bought this game but I'm not gonna not see Avengers Endgame <laughs> you know yeah exactly it's I'm gonna play the I'm gonna play the game the weekend it comes out and then go to the movie later yeah like even then they might not see it day one but they'll see it but like so I don't think that's why a lot of people say like that statement isn't really proven that it actually had any dramatic impact, but it's still funny to believe that it may have. By the end of 2007, Halo 3 had sold over 8 million copies. It was far and away the most popular game on Xbox Live, and it was getting perfect reviews left and right. Halo 3 took home a ton of awards from various publications, including Time Magazine's Game of the Year honors. Halo 3 is my favorite Halo game, yes, by far. <laughs> Do you, why is that like just the it's the real it's the full package or? it was just like everything about it like i remember playing halo 1 and halo 2 but i didn't get the games when they came out at launch mm -hmm. so i wasn't like and i obviously like we were young like mm -hmm. i was 12 when the game came out like so we went to a catholic school for those yes. of you who don't know um, I remember being in class in sixth grade and during prayer that morning, I prayed that I would be good that day so I can for sure go and pick up Halo 3 after school. Dude. I kid you not. <laughs> well, like, th that's, it's always the most exciting time to buy a game is when you played the previous games, but you didn't play them when they were new. And for mm -hmm. the first time, you're getting the next game in the series day one new you're right in that wave of hype with everyone else you know that's the best that's like the most excited you could be for any game yeah so and like then, you're finally a part of the conversation yeah it was so good and then i remember the night before they had like the live broadcast oh my god that i think it was g4 tv used to do i think it was g4 tv did when it was on spike or something i can't remember what it was and i remember the dude um chester from um oh chester bennington from yes, lincoln park from lincoln park i remember they played one of the songs and he had a halo 3 electric guitar it literally was Amazing. like blue said halo 3 on it i remember playing that and then you know like just the music of that and everything like like i was so hyped for yeah. a kid who should not have played that game because he literally <laughs> had to be 17 to play it hey when guys, i was 12 i love halo exactly up, exactly like, ah. like i was so hyped and no none of my friends in school had xboxes if they did they didn't well, xbox, xbox 360 at least nobody had a 360 nobody even knew knew or cared about halo i remember at the time it was a big deal if you had a 360 it was like what yeah i was like one of the only ones and i remember yeah i, I even remember like keegan has a 360 like it, it, it was just so cool like that's like one of the first games that i can remember being hyped like oh my god i'm gonna get it after school like i'm just gonna play this all weekend yeah i'm like not gonna give a crap about like schoolwork and everything like that and that like, was me with a super smash bros brawl so yeah. Like, played the hell out of Melee. I'm on the ground floor getting this new game in the series, day one. Let's go. So I, I, I totally get how what you felt like getting Halo 3. Like, I, 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 I could definitely empathize with you. Yeah. Like, it just solidified, like, I'm a gamer and I love it. 
<laughs> but that's not why Halo Three is your favorite. No, it's, but it's but it's also it's just the memories I made. With yeah, the game like I mean, like any anyone's favorite game of all time. There's always that added context of like the situation around it. Yeah. Very rarely is there a game that someone's favorite just based purely on merit alone. Exactly. Like just based purely on like this game just did really cool things that I enjoyed and I now it's my favorite because it's the best game. It's like no, your favorite game of all time is the game that like affected you in some personal way that resonated with you in your personal life. Exactly. Also, personal note, um so everybody get out your tissues. That's that's when my parents like fully split up and my mom moved mm. away. So like, you know, I retreated to my Xbox. So mm. like, that's what I did was I was, I played Halo so much and it was just, you know, the custom games, the campaign. I remember beating it on Legendary and that was the first time I ever played a game on its hardest difficulty. Oh yeah, I, I, I hated quit games even hard on difficulty. Like, nah, yeah. no <laughs> and then now it's like, I could play Heroic by myself, no problem. Yeah. And I remember someone in our class beat Halo 3 Heroic by themselves, their first playthrough. And I was sitting there and I'm like, holy crap, dude, you're that good. And then now like I look back, like, okay, it's actually not that hard. But like being a kid, like you're just like, Heroic is just like slightly more intense Version. Yeah, <laughs> and then I still play on normal because I suck at Halo, but yeah. But then like just getting like the skulls and like co-op. Oh yeah, and just did you play on lasso? Yeah. Oh god. <laughs> no, Sorry that was before that. they even made a lasso playlist. Like so, you like that was like also one of the first games you probably truly like mastered as yeah. well. Yeah, that was like where I was like. I got it. See, I was 12. My brother was... I'm doing everything there is to do in this game. Yeah, I was 12. My brother was 16. Oh, that's like the best time to be. Roughly, I can't remember. And him and I were still like neck and neck in video games. And this is when I just finally started to be like, dude, I'm way better than you now. Yeah, just as good. And now uh, now I'm better. Exactly. Where it's like, I was always like, oh, he's so much better than I am. Like Every kid that has like a parent who's into games or a sibling that's into games has that moment where you're finally at least as good as they are yeah and it just feels like now thing things have changed the power dynamic in this house has changed exactly <laughs> now i am the older brother <laughs> yeah exactly and the thing is like even like playing campaign with him and stuff too it's just just the memories that i have mm-hmm. playing that game for that for those many years was just it's just that's i pay homage to that a lot that was so. peak gaming for our generation was like that 2007 to 2010 era oh god like yeah those three four years there's nothing that will ever beat that no the games that came out every year and like the quality they were and just like well i mean nowadays you look back at some of those games have not aged well no but for for like what for what they consistently kept coming out with i actually think gaming is better now than it ever has been but we just don't have that you know it's not fresh to us anymore we're more jaded and we're more cynical whereas back then any game that even did anything anything wrong we were like i don't even know what's wrong i just like everything here exactly well and then and we had all the time in the world back then too yeah it was like You'd come home, do nothing, maybe do homework, but I never. <laughs> I know did I didn't. Yeah, exactly. We needed. I did, did it the homework. morning of. So exactly, it's like- and and that was the thing. And then it was like, and then you or it'd be like weekends. You have off summers. You have off. And it's like, oh my God, all summer. I honestly wish I would have been a kid with an Xbox 360 and a copy of Halo 3 during the summer. When I got my 360 at my mom's, actually, that summer going into seventh grade, I brought Halo 3 with me because I knew she was going to buy me one. And I was like, oh, yeah, got it, popped it in, played <laughs> campaign immediately on my Xbox, on my new Xbox. Oh, it's so like everyone around you knew, like, yeah, the kid likes Halo. Exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I remember I got the Halo books too before Halo 3. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, even our library had the Halo books. Yeah. But um, being a kid with all the time in the world during the summer, being able to go to your friend's house whenever you want to, having Halo 3 there, that's, you can't beat that. But it, like, I also think about like people who were in college or overseas in like Iraq and Afghanistan at the time, just having, being in close proximity to other people just anyway, and having that communication tool be there like that's really what halo was for a long time was just a communication tool i mean just think about it now my you know my buddy brad literally was in korea for two years Mm -hmm. and the only way i really talked to him was on xbox (laughs) i was even in a couple parties exactly like Like, oh yeah you're korea (laughs) yeah so like granted that's xbox live more so when we did play some halo but i mean like other games but But halo is what started that yeah like without halo 2 you don't get 
what Xbox Live is today. Exactly. And without Halo 2, you don't get Halo 3, and you know. So, yeah. All right, let's get back on script. That was that was, was great. Fun tangent. <laughs> fun tangent. I love... That's that's why this episode's script is a little shorter, because I knew, like, we were going to shoot the shit about Halo 3 quite a bit. Like, I love Halo... Th- my first... I'm going to shoot the shit a little bit more about Halo 3. My first time playing Halo 3 was at, like, an eighth grade party, end of the year party, and that was my first time playing Halo, period. It was just, like, then you were like loading up split whoa. screen, getting my ass kicked, but I was having so much fun. I was like, this is Halo. (laughs) This is pretty good. But, uh, yeah. In the months following Halo 3's release, Bungie released a variety of different map packs and title updates, but Bungie already had their sights set on something more ambitious than downloadable content, even though their next project would, hopefully, be out in less than a year. Bungie owed Microsoft two more Halo games, so it's not exactly crazy to assume Bungie wanted to finish their contractual obligations as soon as humanly possible. But Bungie's instincts as creatives kicked in. It just wasn't in their nature to simply plop out a game for the sake of making a game. This one had to be different, unique. Despite the game's planned smaller scale, it was still going to get the trademark Bungie ambition. But while Bungie was working on Halo 3 and future projects, Microsoft had other plans for Halo. Bungie never really thought they'd be working on Halo for the rest of their lives, but Microsoft was looking to turn Halo into a multi-studio, multimedia franchise that would last a lifetime, without Bungie's knowledge or permission. And they didn't exactly need permission from Bungie since they owned the IP, but they never even gave them a heads up with what they were doing with Halo. One day, in 2005, a group of developers from a team called Ensemble Studios walked into Bungie's studio and presented them with a game called Halo Wars, much to the shock of Bungie's employees. They had no idea Halo Wars was even in development, but here it was, a real-time strategy game set in the Halo universe, a full-circle callback to the origins of the franchise when it was still a sparkle in Bungie's eyes. Halo originated as a sci-fi RTS, so it made sense to, at the peak of the franchise's popularity, release a spin-off based on Halo's original concepts developed by one of the best RTS studios in the world. The irony of that unexpected day in Redmond, Washington, is that Halo Wars was already a project a year in the making. Ensemble Studios is, is a now-defunct studio from Dallas, Texas, who is most known for Age of Empires. They created the franchise and made every single game and expansion in the series up to their closure in 2009, including the, in my opinion, fantastic spin-off Age of Mythology. Ensemble Studios was also responsible for Star Wars Battlegrounds, a Star Wars real-time strategy game. So when Microsoft acquired the studio in 2001 and then approached them in 2005 to retrofit a struggling project into a Halo RTS, Ensemble already had experience working with established franchises. Initially, Halo Wars began as an original project from Ensemble, though. They were making an RTS, but the only thing they really knew is that they didn't want to make another Age of Empires game. They had enough of that and wanted something fresh, something different, something sci-fi. And there was another fresh hook to Ensemble's game. It'd be a console RTS in a world where console RTS games didn't really exist. And now that's a bit coincidental, considering Halo launched as a console FPS in a world where console FPS games weren't common. Maybe it was fate that crossed Ensemble and Halo's paths. Against all expectations of what could be done on a controller, Ensemble made a console RTS work thanks to an inventive and intuitive control scheme. When they showed their project to the higher-ups at Microsoft, that's when it clicked for them to make this console RTS a Halo game, against the whims of Ensemble. Ensemble wanted a new original property, so to be essentially forced to change an exciting potential new franchise into something created by someone else was disappointing to say the least. All the environments, character models, and writing had to be changed and recreated from scratch to fit all new assets and ideas from Bungie. It's frustrating, but Ensemble still treated this new console RTS with the same love and respect they would have given their own property, faithfully recreating the tone and art style created and cultivated by Bungie. And Ensemble not only wanted what would become Halo Wars to look like Halo, they wanted it to feel like a Halo fans would expect. The challenge was to create an RTS that Halo fans could enjoy while also making it a true enough RTS that RTS fans wouldn't shred apart. Perhaps you could look at it like Pokemon as an RPG, a great way to get people who may not normally play RPGs to play an RPG. Halo would serve as a sort of bait to get Xbox fans to play a genre they may not be attached to, and a way for Halo fans to experience what could have been had Bungie kept Halo as an RTS to begin with. From Xbox's perspective, however, Halo Wars was a fantastic way to branch out Halo and turn it into a franchise akin to Star Wars, something unbound by genre or typical conventions, with a huge universe that could support different kinds of projects. Halo Wars would be the first sign of a larger Halo universe beyond Master Chief and the events directly related to him. So, imagine being Bungie in this situation. You pour your heart and soul into two games that really put you on the map. You pride yourself on your independence, you treat Halo like your child. Then a group of people from halfway across the country come into your office and tell you, surprise, we're making a Halo game too. At first, Bungie wasn't pleased. 
This would have been a few months after the launch of Halo 2, so the dev team was still de-stressing after a difficult development cycle. To see for themselves in person that the thing they created was no longer exclusively theirs was a pretty big shock, but something that was inevitable considering their position as a Microsoft-owned studio. And that meant any intellectual property created as a Microsoft Game Studio was property of Microsoft Game Studios unless relinquished. There actually have been a few situations in recent years where a publisher has relinquished ownership of an IP to a studio it was letting go, such as Square Enix allowing IO Interactive to maintain ownership of the Hitman license, which is actually really cool. Hitman 2 is, um, I think it's WB Interactive publishes Hitman 2, but Square Enix did Hitman, the first hit, did Hitman, they didn't publish the first Hitman games, but I know they did Absolution and the first of the reboot trilogy. I don't know who pub who's publishing Hitman 3, maybe it's WB Interactive, but there's rumors that Microsoft might be buying WB Interactive, so I don't think they'd be getting Hitman as part of that. It's a very rare situation. And if you're Microsoft and you just released literally the most successful entertainment product of all time, it makes sense why you'd want to hang on to that IP, even if it meant hurting the feelings of the people who created it. It's pure business. Halo Wars was officially revealed in 2006. Halo was no longer a simple series of games, now it was a universe, a franchise. After its announcement, Halo Wars was demonstrated at every E3 up until its release. But while Halo Wars was in development, Ensemble was also hard at work on a bunch of other projects that were, unfortunately, all cancelled. Next-gen projects, RPGs, action games, all kinds of projects. Most notable of these cancellations was something called Project Titan, a big-budget sci-fi MMO greenlit by Microsoft itself designed to compete with the biggest MMO on the market, World of Warcraft. Craft. Project Titan was a Halo MMO, believed to have been set in the Forerunner era, hundreds of thousands of years before humanity would discover the titular Halo rings. Project Titan was silently cancelled by Microsoft in 2007, and all of Ensemble's resources were then diverted to Halo Wars. So, a Halo MMO. I don't really know if that would have worked. It's yeah. easy to feel sad that it was cancelled, but at the same time, it's like, I don't know, based on the screenshots that have been posted, it looked like there were still, like, Marines and Warhogs and stuff and so it's like is there time travel and stuff going on or it's a cool concept but it's just hard to realize it fully well and it's just like with mmo classes it's like how much can you really do with an mmo in halo you know yeah like you are a marine or a forerunner or spartan i mean i could see them treating it like um horde versus alliance where it's like you have the covenant yeah which is like the horde and then the yeah. alliance which would be like humans and forerunners yeah reclaimers and forerunners technically but um I don't know. It. I don't think it would have had enough like gameplay diversity to really justify itself. So yeah, we'll never know. I guess we'll never know. Oh whale. Um, development on Halo Wars was more difficult and was taking longer than initially expected, and all of the cancelled projects were really taking their financial toll on Ensemble. Microsoft just didn't have any more money to give to Ensemble, so in 2008, Microsoft announced that Ensemble Studios would be closed down after the release of Halo Wars, when in reality, Ensemble actually closed down just under two months before the release date. In the months leading up to Halo Wars' release date, a bunch of Ensemble employees jumped ship and either began their own studios or joined other studios. Halo Wars was released on February February 26th, 2009 in Australia, the 27th in Europe, and March 3rd in North America for some reason, considering... I don't really know why, because Ensemble is American. Microsoft is American. Maybe to alleviate server load? I don't know. Halo Wars didn't light the world on fire, but it was a commercial and critical success. It gathered mostly positive reviews and sold over a million copies after a couple weeks on sale. I, I like Halo Wars a lot. Yeah, I, my first time playing Halo Wars was at a kiosk in like Target or something. Yeah. It's like, yo, this is sick. Yeah, it's 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 pretty good. Like, it's fine. And it, it, like, they, their mission to make a console real-time strategy game, like, it works. Yeah, did a good job. It looks good. Um, Sadly, the sequel, I don't think, is as good, but we will get to that later on. Yeah, not till episode four, yeah. probably. So it's going to be a while, but I don't know. I remember when it got announced, and it was a pretty it cool was pretty game. It pretty deal. Yeah, and it was, I, I was, because I, I loved Age of Empires, I loved all those games, and... Mm -hmm say like this and i just remember i was shocked i was like it's not a console like how does that even yeah. work yeah that's um, what i think that was the idea yeah but it was really but cool i remember I just being blown it. away it's like oh it's halo and it's not a shooter yeah you know? yeah that was i think the biggest shocker to everybody is that they're making yeah. a halo game 
and it's not the main series. It's a spinoff. You know, they're they're franchising this. It was good. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I, Halo Wars, thumbs up. Um, Halo Wars wasn't the only Halo game that attempted to open up the universe of Halo. In fact, Bungie themselves were also hard at work on a game that would also broaden the universe of Halo. But before we get into Bungie's next project, the world of Halo was absolutely booming, even if we received almost none of the fruits of Microsoft's ambition. Even before Halo 3 had been released, Columbia Pictures was interested in making a live-action film adaptation of Halo. And this, I love, I don't know if you know any of the stuff that is I just remember it being say. announced, so this is all you. Yeah. Alex Garland was pegged to write the script, a name you may recognize as the writer and director of films like Ex Machina and Annihilation. Garland also wrote the screenplays for movies like 28 Days Later, Sunshine, and Dread. And he also lent his writing talents to Ninja Theory's Enslaved Odyssey to the West and DMC Devil May Cry. To say Alex Garland is a great writer is a bit of an understatement. I really love like all those, every movie he's done is usually pretty damn good. So, like he's a really good writer. Have you seen Ex Machina? Yes. Yep. Ex Machina and Dread. Yeah. It's cool writing. It's Dude's fun. a good, very talented dude. Yeah. So that just makes what follows sad but <laughs> considering he was he wrote the script for halo like imagine that the guy who made ex machina doing a halo movie even though he hadn't made ex machina <laughs> at that point but still yeah microsoft gave the adaptation the green light but on one condition they'd get 10 million dollars and 15 percent of the film's gross revenue microsoft essentially wanted none of the risk and all of the reward which turned a lot of studios off from the project eventually though 20th century fox and universal pictures agreed to partner up to produce the halo movie adaptation after toning down Microsoft's payment to $5 million and 10% of gross revenue. Peter Jackson, director of the entire Lord of the Rings movie saga, was slated to be the movie's executive producer. Guillermo del Toro, director of movies like Pan's Labyrinth, Hellboy, and, the, and eventually Pacific Rim, and the best picture winning The Shape of Water, was originally meant to be Halo's director, but then ceded the position to Neil Blomkamp, after negotiations fell through. At that point, Blomkamp was a special effects artist, but later he'd go on to direct movies like District 9, Elysium, and Chappie. Oh, great movies. Yeah, District 9 is fantastic. Yeah. Oh, something I didn't write in the script that I actually read about later was that District 9, there's actually a bunch of props used in District 9 that were originally meant for the Halo, Halo. movie. Yeah, I remember that. I remember hearing They about reused that. a lot of the stuff they already had made because Neil Blomkamp was supposed to direct, and he's like, well, if... No one's using these. I'll take these. Yep. It's like, man, that movie hit. Oh, I'm not even done with the names. D.B. Weiss, who is most known today, perhaps infamously, as the co-writer of HBO's Game of Thrones adaptation, was one of the writers who worked on a revision to Alex Garland's Halo script. It sounds like an all-star team on paper, but pre-production was hectic. The adaptation was canceled and revitalized multiple times in 2006. It's not a joke. Like, that is a killer, especially in hindsight, that is a killer production team. Even though... Even though D.B. Weiss doesn't exactly have a lot of respect on his name these days after yeah. season eight of Game of Thrones was botched big time. Unfortunately. I didn't hate it, but I get why people don't. Or I get why people hate it. Yeah, like, at the time, like, that's Alex Garland, D.B. Weiss, Guillermo del Toro, Neil Blomkamp, Peter Jackson. Like, even though Guillermo del Toro decided not to do it, it's still just like the fact that he was interested in the Eventually, first place. Yeah, like, at some point. Like, this thing had some some weight to it. But uh, 20th Century Fox, Universal, and Peter Jackson were also in a stalemate over the movie's production, resulting in an even longer delay. In 2007, Neil Blomkamp stated that the Halo adaptation was pretty much dead and buried, but Peter Jackson, st oh yeah, and Peter Jackson, still held on to hope that it'd resume production. Either way, the film never officially entered production, and the film adaptation rights are now in the hands of Microsoft. It was over before it really even started. Like I said, the only thing they really got off the ground were some props and probably some concept art and a script. I wonder if you could find that script online somewhere. That'd be probably. crazy. I'd love to read that. I wouldn't be surprised if it sucks, though, because it's a video game adaptation. It made in 2006, you know? So it's like, they probably gave Master Chief, like, way more lines than he should have had. Or maybe he wasn't even Master Chief. I don't know. Anyway, funnily enough, however, Neil Blomkamp would actually go on to direct a series of live-action shorts set in the Halo universe, but as promotional material leading up to the release of Halo 3. So, if, you, if you've seen any of the live-action shorts for Halo 3, yep. Neil Blomkamp made those, so he did end up working, or he did end up directing some kind of adaptation, but definitely not in the way that I think he had probably wanted to. Yeah, oh, here I put in the script, also allegedly some of the props he made for the cancelled Halo film were used in District 9, 
so it wasn't a total waste of time. The failed Halo film adaptation wouldn't be Peter Jackson's only attempt at broadening the universe of Halo, however. I don't know if you know about this. I didn't actually know about what I'm about to talk about until I was researching this. Halo Chronicles yep. was a planned episodic narrative-focused project lead by, led by Peter Jackson and written by series writer Joseph Staten. So did you know about Halo Chronicles already? Yeah. Um, I, I had no idea. when I was younger, they announced it and... Well... That's to cut you off. I, th I believe I read that they announced it the same day they announced Halo Wars. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Whenever they announced it. Because it was meant it. to be like, we are branching out. Yeah. Um. It was supposed to focus on the Arbiter after what happened after Halo 3, I believe, if I remember that. Well, uh, I actually... I think I talk about in the script what... Oh, yeah. Here we go. Well, we'll get to what it was about, going to be about. Staten and a few other members of Bungie flew to New Zealand to work hands-on with Peter Jackson at a studio called Wingnut Interactive, a studio created by Jackson specifically to work on Halo Chronicles. And it got shut down after the inevitable happened. Yep. The idea for Chronicles is that the player would play as a marine slowly turning into a forerunner Promethean. So Prometheans were actually a Bungie concept before being added to games after Bungie's departure from Microsoft. So 343 actually got the idea of Prometheans after, from all of the concept work done for Halo Chronicles. Um, however, in 2008, following the cancellation of the film adaptation and after creative differences arising from Peter Jackson and Bungie, Halo Chronicles was canceled and Wingnut Interactive was shut down. So uh, the idea was for Chronicle, like the idea was that it was going to be kind of like synergistic where it's like, then we got the movie, then we got Halo Chronicles, then we got Halo Wars, you know, it was like, it was meant to be like, we're, this is a universe now but only one of those things ended up coming out but yeah did yeah. you like so i'm guessing you didn't know about the, that originally it was going to be about prometheans no i just i think it was a rumor that i read that like I well it was going to be episodic so that's all we yeah. know for now so maybe there at one point there was going to be like maybe arbiter was I, involved in I some thought way that's what it was because later on which we're about to talk about everything that it was i just i just remember i remember chronicles like i distinctly remember halo chronicles i didn't <laughs> I don't really know anything about it. about it but it was just like it was something about halo and i was gung-ho and all for it oh yeah hell yeah so after all those failed attempts what was happening back in bungie with the main team finally gonna close that loose end after halo 3 bungie was hard at work on a project that was meant to be a quick one-year turnaround project called halo recon however in true bungie fashion their ambition grew beyond something that could be done in less than a year in fact because their ambition was set beyond a one-year cycle bungie was even considering canceling halo recon however they stuck with it and that game would eventually be released in 2009 instead of 2008 the entire idea behind Recon was to tell a separate tale within the Halo universe, one where the player isn't playing as Master Chief, one where the stakes aren't so universe-shattering. The idea was to have a gritty, film-noir, character-focused presentation, whereas the main series was essentially an epic space opera, all seen from the eyes of Master Chief. The main characters of the game wouldn't be genetically modified Spartan super soldiers like Sierra 117. They're elite soldiers, but they're still pretty much normal people caught in an extraterrestrial war. Recon would take place between the events of Halo 2 and 3 in the fictional African city of New Mombasa, which was a key place of contention early on in Halo 2's campaign. Great level. Ugh, amazing level. With the Scarab, great. <laughs> so good. And it wasn't an exaggeration to compare the presentation of Recon to classical film noirs of the past. The main plot of the game involves the player investigating and piecing together the puzzle of what happened in the city after a botched orbital landing. The perspective changes from squad member to squad member, a first for Halo, but the bulk of the game is spent wandering the rainy city at night, searching for the locations of the player's missing squad mates. It's funny, um, if you look at the behind the scenes of Recon, um, they actually couldn't do rain. So what really? they did, they just made the ground wet and added rain sound effects. <laughs> and it's like, you don't actually see it raining. It just feels like it's raining. I remember it raining, though. Like, Dude, like not, not like I think, physically I think it might have just been mental tricks the whole time. Yeah, like now that I think about it, I gotta go back and play it just I, a lot. I think they were just playing mental tricks the whole time. Wow. Because I think they said in their engine they couldn't do rain or dynamic rain or something, so they That's just faked so it. Funny. There are also audio logs depicting an entire story storyline of the events leading up to the Covenant invasion of Earth, further driving home the idea that the stakes of Recon would be more based on the 
people of Earth rather than Earth or the galaxy itself. It's a much more personal and character-driven story compared to what Bungie had done previously, and they'd go on to use this experience on another game we'll talk about next episode. The tone of Recon is also reflected in Martin O'Donnell's great original score for the game, mm -hmm. which is much more somber and jazzy than the previous game's booming orchestras, wailing guitars, and epic choirs. Halo Recon was announced in 2008 with a pre-rendered trailer, but later that year, the title was changed to what we know it as today. Halo 3 ODST. The idea for ODST was for it to be an expansion in terms of size and scope, which is why it's called Halo 3 ODST instead of just Halo ODST. It was meant to be a companion piece. ODST was playable separate from Halo 3 itself and still included all of Halo 3's multiplayer maps and modes, plus a new mode called Firefight. Firefight is essentially Bungie spin on a wave defense mode, which was huge at the time following its inclusion in games like Gears of War and Call of Duty World at War. Oh, and I, I put in the notes like, people give developers a lot of shit for chasing Battle Royale, but like, that was the thing to do back then. Like, Horde how mode. today the thing to do is to, you know, add a battle royale to your game nowadays. Back then it was Horde mode, wave defense mode. Yep. You gotta have it. And before that it was like Team Deathmatch. It was like, yep. oh, Team Deathmatch, that's for Call of Duty players, you know, or that's for Doom players. Because Doom, I think, had just was Deathmatch. And so when like a more objective, like when Battlefield added Team Deathmatch, it's like, oh. What? <laughs> but so it started with Team Deathmatch and then it was Horde mode when it's like, oh, of course, Zombies mode, whatever, what else is new? And now it's just Battle Royale mode. Halo 3 ODST may have been considered a smaller title within Bungie, but Microsoft still had every intention of making it a huge deal. A huge marketing budget, comic book tie-ins, promotional short films, which are fucking amazing. And oh, it was also being sold at full price at 60 bucks. I just want to stop and talk about the short films they made for leading up to ODST incredible legit incredible yeah, the one where it's like the like the recruits and like shaving their head dude and going yeah with the camp. russian stuff yelling at them that yeah. was probably the most hype trailer i get chills watching and that. then You're it's like, like holy crap the camera in the drop pod and yes. it's, it's like oh my god it's so so good like those are dude amazing trailers yes, those, they, halo th halo odsts the marketing campaign leading up to odst was brilliant they did such a good job like it was damn good mm -hmm. i wonder if neil blomkamp was attached to any of those because i know he did three but i don't know if he did odst maybe he did but anyway odst was being sold at full price which seemed a bit excessive at the time but bungie and microsoft both felt the content of the game exceeded odst's initial vision and the price didn't seem to deter the hype for the game nor its sales Halo 3 odst came out on september 22nd 2009 and sold over 2.5 million copies after two weeks on the market it got mostly positive reviews i odst is a weird game but that's intentional they could you cut all of the mombasa street parts where you're just walking around probably but you know was that padding more than likely but it's still fun just to get a different perspective on halo that's not explosions big open environments whatever because there's still some great missions in odst yeah it was a fun spin on it i i loved it it was really cool and like you know when you're talking about the noir-esque like detective style thing like i thought that was cool oh it was great the music like still felt like halo audio logs because originally they were going to reuse because like for all intents and purposes odst was supposed to be an expansion so they were going to reuse a lot of stuff including the music but martin o'donnell was just like no 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 we're not reusing music <laughs> like if there's one thing we're not reusing that i if I have control over anything in this game. We're not reusing music. I will make a new soundtrack for you guys. It It's great. Um, yeah, evocative of the original games while also being something super new. But the missions are really good in ODST. I really like the, the Warthog mission is really good. It's yeah. a really good Warthog mission. Yep. The uh, the uh, the bridge mission. Yeah. Um, that one was really good. <clears throat> we have to like defend the facility and you have like turrets in a room in a circle. Yep. Yeah, some good, there's some really good gems. Plus the story ODST. played in a lot into it as well too. Also Nathan Fillion. Yep, Nathan Fillion, who later, which we'll yeah. talk about in an eventual episode, how he becomes a main character in Halo 5. <laughs> which they explain in a book how they did that. <laughs> yep. So if you don't understand, yeah, kind of what happens afterwards. It's pretty messed yeah, up. Yeah, because I, I actually, um, I'm in the middle of, well, I'm not in the middle. I'm, I'm on the tail end of my Halo replay and I'm on Halo 5 now. It's like, Buck, you're not, 
supposed to be a Spartan? <laughs> like, exactly. how did you, how, how did this happen? There's a book that explains that. Yeah, that explains everything that happens. Um, and then with the engineers too, like I'd never seen, oh, any, yeah. I'd never seen an engineer in any game. Cause oh yeah, the engineers were added in ODST. In ODST. They show up in Reach. They were, yeah, they do. They were mentioned in the Fall of Reach book, ah. which came out before Halo 3, maybe before Halo 2, I can't remember. But I remember them talking about it and explaining it in the book. So they, they had an idea for them for a while, but then they were just put into it and then later on added more. One thing I do on. not like about ODST, though, is escorting that engineer. Oh, God. That was not good. That mission was miserable. <laughs> so many times I think I just shot it and killed it because it was Yeah, I did. So like, much. Checkpoint loaded. All right, we're killing this thing. Dude, <laughs> so dumb. Hey, ODST has some very Halo 1-esque se- sections where it's just the same corridor yeah. forever. Yep. But it's only like one level. But yeah. still, it, that it's, level feels like an eternity, yeah. and and it's a pretty quick game. Like you could probably knock it out in oh yeah, it's like like a day or two. Honestly, yeah, you could, no problem. Yeah, yeah, so. for sure. Anyway, uh, Halo Three ODST didn't light the world on fire like the previous games had, but that was almost intentional. ODST was essentially an expansion after all, and Bungie wanted any hyper on Halo focus toward a game that would release one year later in 2010, their last contractually obligated entry in the franchise they started. Bungie had a chance to put all their effort into one final push, again, to culminate all their work and experience into one last fight, again. Because that was supposed to be Halo 3, but now they're doing it, and now, now it's really the last time. But for their final fight, Bungie would look to the beginnings of Halo's story, a prequel on a doomed planet called Reach. This would be their last chance to prove themselves as the masters of the FPS genre, their last chance to show Microsoft what they'd be missing once Bungie left to follow their own destiny. And that is where we'll pick up next time on Random Access Memories. That was not meant to be that long, but it was. It, it, went, it, it took a little bit. Halo, th- like I was really happy we got to talk about Halo Three as much as we did in this, dude. Well, and that's the thing is like Halo Three was like our thing. Like Halo Three was great, and then yeah. next week with I didn't really Reach. join Halo officially until Reach. Yeah, Reach which, is my favorite. Which, which, which that's about. the thing is like Halo Three was like my favorite, and that was my thing. But like playing with my friends like on there, like on live, Reach was like that was. That was when, like, the online multiplayer experience was so modernized. Yeah. And, like, is what it is today. That was, like, one of our first times experiencing a game on a modern scale like that. Where it wasn't just you and some friends. It was, like, I'm just going to play this to to get stuff for my character. But we'll talk about Reach next time. Yeah. Because, like, your story with Halo 3... How, like, you have a personal attachment to Halo 3. Like, that's basically my story with Halo Reach of, like, where I fell in love with Halo. And which is, like, sad because it was the last Bungie Halo. But that was the one I finally had an Xbox 360. And I, you know, could finally just sit down and play these games on my own time instead of playing them at parties and at friends' houses. So, everyone has that Halo game that was their first one. And, like, the first one that they really sunk their teeth into. And for you, that was Halo 3. And, like... I think for many people, though, in our generation especially, that was Halo 3. Yeah. Even now, I think Halo 3 is the best multiplayer. Like, I think Reach slightly edges it out for me personally, just because you have the armor abilities. And yeah. I really love I really love the maps and the weapons in Reach, like the DMR. Um, but Halo 3 is just so pure. Like, it is just a pure multiplayer experience. Anytime, even if you didn't grow up playing Halo 3, you play Halo 3 and you feel like you grew up playing Halo 3. You feel nostalgic just playing it. That's how I feel anyway. It's just like, just playing Halo 3, I feel this sense of joy and nostalgia and I feel like I'm in 2007 again and when people teabag me, I'm not even mad. It's just fun. It's just a good time. Anyway, that's it from us. Um, You're going to get a pre-recorded outro that tells you our Twitter handles. Um, I hope you enjoyed the episode, and I hope you join us next time where we talk about Halo Reach and the changing of the guard. Goodbye. Whoa. Later. Thank you for listening to Random Access Memories, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you want more, check out our previous episodes and or subscribe to the show on the podcast platform of your choice. This podcast was produced by Ron's Pies on YouTube, so please check the channel out, subscribe, and share the show. You can follow me on Twitter at WadeLikesPie and Keegan at Key underscore Gan underscore Gin. See you next time.